Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Hey, thanks everyone. Have a seat and uh, thanks team. Thanks for leading us, everyone. It's, it's really, really great. Hey, uh, some of you maybe know this. We mentioned it earlier. Thanks, Rob. Uh, that if you're, uh, maybe you grew up in the Orthodox Church, uh, either Greek Orthodox or any type of the Orthodox Church, happy Easter. You know, I was talking to someone and they're like, yeah, like for the Orthodox Church, yeah, you can clap, it's Easter. In the Orthodox context, a different calendar and still Christians. And I thought, man, I wish, because that's double Easter meal, double Easter party, double Easter everything. So uh, some of you are going to experience that. But it's, it's a good reminder for us, right, that we're part of a global community and we're learning how to worship with, with Christians around the world and, and we're growing. And some of you maybe are, are learning that as well. And, and this morning we really want to do something new that we often do is after Easter and different seasons of our church, we begin a new teaching series. And today we're going to begin a new teaching series called Convictions. And uh, this is, uh, you know, This is kind of a juicy topic for us to think about our convictions, what we believe in, what we stand for. And over the next few weeks, I want to encourage you to, to maybe set time aside because it's a big theme, right? We're not going to tackle it all on one, one morning. You know, we're going to do this together. And, and maybe you think of your own life, times when you were wishing you had more convictions. You wish you would have said something. You wish you would have stood up for something and you didn't. And you're like, I, I, you know, I need to grow in that. Or you remember like having deep convictions and then you were wrong. Anyone? Yeah, some of that. And, and you'll see, like, some of us, you know, we have false convictions. We want to present ourselves as being strong, and then we realize, well, we're not sure. Like, we need to grow in our convictions. You know, I thought about this yesterday uh, while we were at our blood drive. Uh, one of our, our youth leaders was there, and he was just committed. This is Lucas. Some of our youth know Lucas, uh, our wonderful youth leader. Yeah. I don't know if he's here, but, but I, I got his permission to share, to share this, and so he was here. And so he's committed to really help give blood, and, and as he gave blood, there was a sense he wasn't feeling well, and within a short time, he got dizzy, and this is how his day ended, uh, on his back with the towel, and, uh, and I was like making fun of him somewhere in the room, okay, and uh, Lucas, we love you, thanks for letting me do this, but, but uh, I actually, Alessia, his wife, sent me these pictures, and I said to Alessia, you know, you should have married up, but I think you married down. So I said, wait, we can't help. <laughs> oh, look at this. Lucas, if you're watching, they love you here. They love you. But uh, I, I had the, the, the privilege of officiating their wedding. And so we're just excited that people sometimes are like, I'm really, I got this. And then you're like, well, I don't got this the way I thought I had it. I'm, I'm not sure. So as we think about convictions, I want you to take a minute and think of what comes to mind when you think of convictions for you. Is it a person? Is it a word? Is it a moment? Is it a feeling? So think about the idea of convictions. And as you think about that in a few minutes, I'm going to show you how the Bible kind of invites us to understand this idea of deep conviction. What does that mean in a world of uncertainty where things are changing? To have some conviction. Let's think about it for a second. 
over the years as a pastor, you know, I've often been with parents. For many years, I was a youth pastor. And I often remember meeting parents and feeling their, their desire to want to give their kids some convictions because they didn't want them to go to school and have peer pressure where they just followed whatever anybody said. And I remember sharing with parents that convictions are not just things you just give to people. It's not a pill. It's something you learn and you grow into and you mature into. And some of you here this morning, over these next few weeks, you're going to grow in this. God's going to stretch you and stretch me where we're going to need to rethink some convictions or grow in other convictions or maybe new convictions have to emerge. And so we're going to talk about that in a little while. Now I'm going to show you a list of some words that the Bible uses to kind of explain this idea of convictions. And just by yourself, like nobody needs to know this. It's kind of between you and God, right? If you're watching online, you'll see this. To see how many of the words you see on the screen are close to how you thought of convictions. So you can go to the slide. This is the Greek word for convictions that's used in the New Testament often. Not the only word, but one of them. Patheo, right, is this word. And this is the way this word is translated in the scriptures. It's this hope and assurance, right? Kind of common. The, the word convictions has the idea of to convict. It's the work that the Holy Spirit does in us. It, it convicts us, right, for correction. There's this idea of persuading others to believe. I hope my convictions move you to embrace what I'm saying is true, right? So there's a persuading in convincing others. Or there's just this trustworthy sureness, to be sure. So think about this, like, how easy it is for us to have a view of conviction and then to say we want the Bible to shape how we grow in our understanding of conviction. We want to just not just have an idea. You know, when I was young and I was growing up, I, I would say if you asked me, like, when I think of convictions, I think of a movie. Like, you ever think of movies where people are like, nobody's going to take our village and you get a sword and you start, anybody? No one? No, it's a rough, rough group here. Okay, so that, that was, that's my problem. And you watch it and you're like, I'm buying a sword tomorrow. I don't even know where to buy a sword. But it's just the sense like, yeah, like I want to live with passion. I, I want to be like that because I want my life to count. But that's kind of what movies do, right? They inspire you to something that then you're like, how does this look like in real? Am I going to bring my sword to work? Like, what does this look like? What does that mean like every day? What does that mean when I want to pass on deep convictions about God's love and God's word to my kids or to my grandchildren? Like, what do I do? So we want to help you with that. We want to help you understand some of these ideas and to grow. And, and you'd be surprised because right after Easter is one of the best times that the church is working through a lot of these ideas. There were many people in the Bible who were convinced that dead people do not come back to life. That's a good conviction, right? And they're like, there's no way. I'm convinced. And then Jesus shows up and they're like, what? Trust me, they're reworking convictions fast. And I want to just show you also how the Bible reminds us how easy it is for us to be tricked by our culture, our emotions, our, our fears to have wrong convictions. I grew up in a context where not only did I maybe see movies that made me be like, yeah, convictions, you know, but then I went to a church that didn't help me grow in this. I went to a church that convictions were either you have them or you don't. That was my, grow like, I grew up in that world. And it was almost like, it's black and white. Do you either believe or you're a pagan? I'm like, well, I just have a question. No, 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 no. There's no questions here. You're in, I was like, I don't know. I'm not sure what I believe anymore. I'm so confused. And you know, this happened to me because when I was young, I, I, I was going to church. And I remember one time there was some rally or some sketchy meeting my mom took me to. Uh, and the person was preaching about the end of the world. And they were convinced that the end of the world was happening in the year 2000 because of the problem with computers. 
and they had a conviction about it. And I was like, listen, this, this person is for real. And so I got really scared. And I thought about this as I was preparing, like, could we have convictions that maybe are true in the wrong way, that instead of helping people grow, we actually scare them away from God rather than help them move closer to God? Could that happen? So this morning and this series is not just about convictions, but it's about that the Bible invites us to be people who have convictions and to learn how those convictions are understood or passed on to others. So I want to give you a very simple way to remember that. If you're taking notes, you'll hear this for the next few weeks, that we need to grow in our convictions. We don't just have convictions. We need to grow in how to express them, how to understand them better, and sometimes that means we have to admit that our convictions were what? Wrong. Wrong or not fully understood or needed to mature in them. They're just not always wrong. Sometimes they're like, I just didn't understand that part of that idea. Right? So we want to show you this, and I want to show you how in the Bible, really early on in the Easter story, the Bible invites us for people who were convinced or they had a conviction that they can convince others that Jesus was a liar. I'm going to show you on the screen. It's a passage in Scripture that... We read during our Good Friday service, if you were here, and this is what it says, and the actual Greek word for conviction is actually in the passage. It says this, but the chief priests and the elders persuaded, or some translations might say convinced, right, the multitude that they should ask Barabbas, and they should ask, they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Some of you know this story. It's that moment on Good Friday where it's like, Pilate's going to offer us two men, Barabbas or Jesus. So they get people kind of, they have a conviction that Jesus is a what? Liar, he's tricking them, he's a bad teacher, on and on and on. And so they have this conviction that they can convince others that Jesus should be destroyed. Right there. When we let the Bible shape us in this way, we pay attention to the fact that the Bible shows us people who had to grow in their convictions. They were wrong. And so as we do that, we become more humble, more sensitive, more aware of like what it means to be people who stand firm on God's principles in a world that feels like changing all the time. We're not sure. People have all kinds of ideas and we're like, I disagree with them, but you know, what, what do I do now? How do I take the next step? I grew up again in a context where convictions always meant confrontation. Maybe I, for a long time I thought that was cultural. Like if you have convictions, you have to look for people to confront. And if they don't exist, you have to make them up. And after a while, I started to think, like, I know people who only know how to be Christians if they find an enemy. It's not that the enemy is sin and how sin is trying to destroy them. The Bible talks about this. But it's like somebody else is out there, and I'm a Christian to make sure that you don't try to trick me. And there's this movement that happens, this type of fear that's developed, where we're not able to be among people who have different views. And you know why this was so hard for me? Because so many people in my family were not Christians. And I remember that when they shared about their convictions... They were just always upset, and I'm thinking, are we the, am I doing the same thing? Because anybody can have convictions. You don't have to be a Christian to have convictions, by the way. But you do need to be a Christian when you say, I'm going to be held accountable for how I live these convictions. I'm going to be held accountable by how I express or model the way of Jesus in my convictions. And there was like this confrontation and this fighting. So this morning, as we begin, I want to help us to, to move beyond just convictions as confrontation. Because some of you know this. You have people you love. You have people that you work with. They believe different things. You know, I think of my community, very small community, our church, where I live. Someone is Muslim. Someone is a different belief. Someone's an, 
I mean, people in my family are atheists. I was like, well, I got a verse for them. Try that. You should try. And I felt really kind of the God's spirit kind of moving in me, even at the blood drive. Just being here, and I'm proud of so many of you and those of you involved, but not only people who came, those of you praying, set up team, oh, so many things, but just talking to the people who were here who were like, this is a church? And they said, like, you were part of starting this? I was like, yeah, kind of, whatever. You know? And they're like, there's a cross? Like, you have a cross here? Just, they have all these questions, and I thought, what does it mean to be formed as people who have convictions in that kind of space? Among people who have questions. I wish many of you could be like a fly on me, just listening to the questions, confusions, some questions about like, well, what, what do you guys believe, you know? Or, you know, those tattoos, are they real? I'm like, maybe, uh, you know. So a lot of questions. We are committed to being a church that's going to help you have convictions, but they need to make sense in the real world. And the lie is that you can have convictions and just confront everybody and yell at everybody that doesn't have your convictions. That does not work. It never has worked. And I'm going to show you biblically how this is not the model of the Bible at all. You know, one of the most, one of the most fascinating things, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I have, a, I have a confession, okay? Confession time. That I, for the longest time when I was growing up and learning about the Bible, especially learning about Easter, about Jesus kind of resurrecting, I was so upset that Jesus did not go and confront all the people who didn't believe in him. Didn't you find that strange? Like, why isn't the first week of Jesus' life to go see Pilate? Hey, Pilate, you remember the meeting we had? Or why doesn't Jesus go straight to the temple, to the Sanhedrin, to the high priest? You know, if I was there, I definitely would be working up that argument. Listen, Jesus, before you see any of us, don't worry about us. Let's go show all the people that they were wrong. Let's go show. You know how good that's going to be for us later on when we can? Jesus like, no, don't worry about that. I wanted a confrontational Jesus. You know what? Because that's the way I am. Because I love revenge. I love proving to people that they're wrong. And I'm like, Jesus, just one time, can we go see? Just a Roman soldier who's, who laughed at you, just one. Let's go, like, do a dance in front of them. And then we'll get it, and we'll, use, we'll tell people. He's like, no. That's not the way of the kingdom of God. That's not how convictions work. And it bothered me. And then I started to grow and to understand the Bible. And, and this is something that God had to do in me, and I pray he does it in you. The Bible had to form me in a new way. Because worship is not just a feeling. Christianity is not just a religion we come to and hang out. But we're formed by the Spirit. We're formed in a new way in these convictions. We're given courage to respond with wisdom and kindness and firmness. This is what we're going to help you with together. We're going to learn this. And if only there's someone in the story of the early Christians who's wrestling with not, not being convinced that Jesus is alive, it would be great to help us. Maybe you know this. That there's someone in the New Testament story, right at the beginning of Easter, who has a conviction, a deep conviction that there is no way that Jesus is alive unless he sees and touches Jesus himself. Deep conviction. Any of you know that person's name? Tom, look at this. Even people who are not Christians, I think, sometimes are like Thomas, right? Isn't that the guy who's doubting? So for the next few minutes, I want us to just kind of live with Thomas in the Scriptures. His conviction. Maybe you'll, you'll see some of yourself in Thomas. Or maybe you'll think of someone that you love who's like, I think they're like Thomas. Like, I think that's where they're at. 
The Bible tells us that in John chapter 20, profound section we looked at last week, this is what happens. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. It's pretty good. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, I mean, that's a big ask, okay, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I will not. Maybe that you'd be like that. I grew up thinking of so many churches that I've either pastored in or grew up in where Thomas would never have been safe saying things like this in that context. Never. Because what do we do with people who don't have our convictions when we don't, in our culture? I mean, we know this. Our culture is changing every minute, but like you cancel them. You gossip about them. You make up lies about them, right? That's, That's the way of convictions of the world. And yet we as Christians are called to have convictions but not to respond in that way. To have convictions and to to have a different approach and a different posture. Maybe you've noticed that habit in you. Like it, it bothers you when somebody doesn't have your convictions, the way you see things. And you feel that and you're like, God, I need you to help me. Like I, I'm, not, I'm not ready to let go of my convictions, but how do I stand here as a, a person who loves you and cares about someone else who disagrees with me and has a different view? What do I do? Some of you be surprised you're married to those people. And, and you never think about it until it's like in your home or until your kids tell you, I don't believe that thing that you told me growing up. Now, just to let you know, convictions come in different waves and sizes. They're not just deep spiritual convictions that you're like, you got to stand on. They come in like, there's general convictions, for example, right? There's like a general opinion, a conviction you have about your life that somebody maybe passed on to you when, when you were really, really young. You know, a conviction about diet or like a conviction about, like these are soft convictions meaning that they're only personal, and if someone else doesn't believe it, it's not a big deal. Like, I have a conviction that people who drive Audis are annoying, okay? If you don't believe me, if you drive an Audi, put your hand up, you're going to see. It's going to get confirmed right now. Andy, there you go. Andy, Andy's like, no, I'm selling my car. Okay, Mateo's here, annoying. Anybody else? I love you, I love you, bro. Okay, so yeah, anyway, it's just, we joke about it, but I don't care if you believe it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you hold that. But there's other convictions that implicate you as well. These are different convictions. These are not just funny things, you have an opinion, or I had an experience that I go back to, and it's fine. We just gotta go just a bit deeper, because the Bible invites us to go deeper and to think about a deeper understanding of convictions and how God is at work, and and that anybody who says yes to Jesus has to work through their convictions, and they have to grow and gain new convictions. Anyone who comes to Jesus, in a sense, is Thomas, whether you like it or not. Like, you're not sure, and there's people actually who saw Jesus, touched Jesus, and still didn't believe. That's there. They just were not convinced. Thomas is such an important leader in the early church. Because he's raised as a Jew and he knows that as much as he loves Jesus and as much as he loves the disciples, he just can't get over this conviction that dead people don't come back to life. Just can't. I'd be there. Pretty close. Maybe some of you are like, we kind of saw him, we were there, and Thomas like, I wasn't there, so you just telling me that you saw it is not enough. He wants to kind of know. And if we're not careful, we live in a world that teaches us that when somebody has a different conviction, you begin to, like, ostracize them. 
You begin to push them aside. You begin to ignore them. You begin to talk about them. You begin to do this. And Thomas is there and he shares this with his disciples, his brothers, his sisters. And he's like, I'm just not there. But can we just go a bit deeper? I want to show you something else about Thomas. Thomas is not just trying to create problems. He's not just giving us a, like an apologetic argument for how to convince somebody in the faith. That's not what the story's about, right? Because we know about Thomas's life before this moment. We have a time when Thomas is with Jesus and Jesus does something amazing and Thomas's faith is through the roof that he's leading. I'm going to show you this. If you've never read the story of Thomas, you go back to John chapter 11, you'll see it. It says this, that at one point, Jesus is with his disciples and he does something very profound and this is what we're told. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead and for your sake I'm glad I was not there. This is Jesus who's going to come now and do something amazing so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas also known as Didymus, the Thomas who we just learned about, right? A few days before, maybe a week or so, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Does this like sound like someone who doesn't have faith? Not to me. This is someone that has a deep commitment to Jesus, who's ready to go wherever Jesus goes and is ready to go and die with him, but he's not there yet. There's this conviction in him that he just can't get over the hurdle of saying yes to Jesus. There's people in your life that have convictions and they're just not sure how to just go to the next step. There's, there's going to be times in your life where God is calling you to grow in your conviction and you're afraid. You're not sure. You're, you have a lot of doubts. People in your life or in your family are saying things to you and it sounds crazy. Well, like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, what, what do you mean you're changing your mind? What do you mean you believe this? And, you, and, you're, and you're trying to explain. You're like, I, I don't know if I can explain it right. Thomas is about to move through this process. He's wrestling with what it means to know Jesus, to love Jesus, but now there's a conviction he has to move across. Now, if you know the, theological language or you've maybe been in one of our Bible studies, you know this, that there's a real important doctrine that Christians talk about when it comes to this movement of growing and moving from certain convictions to new convictions. And that's the doctrine of grace. Grace is the doctrine that teaches us that God has to open our eyes before we can understand who he is. And we sing about this all the time, right? It's God's grace that finds us when we're lost. We don't just decide, today, I'm going to look for God. Nobody does that. Because if you did that, you wouldn't even know where to look. God has to open our eyes to begin to understand, and that's often called common grace. It's a grace that God offers us and we, we experience, but it's not enough. From that common grace... This doctrine of grace is so profound and mysterious that that common grace needs to move to saving grace, sometimes called redeeming grace. It's a grace that moves us to just being aware that I think God is at work to saying, oh my goodness, it was God who found me. Oh my goodness, it, it is God's love that is healing my family and restoring me and helping me forgive. It's that grace that now is growing in me. And then we have transforming grace, that there's an awareness of this grace and now that grace by the power of the Spirit transforms us to follow Jesus and to do what Jesus called us. Now, when you read about Thomas's life, there's none of that. What I just said is not there, <laughs> right? It's kind of our theology to learn to understand what is happening and the mystery of what's happening. Many of you will have conversations with people that you care about, your kids, loved ones, that will need time to work through the questions, work through their convictions, see in you how you're growing in your convictions, understand how you grew and you said, I didn't understand this before, but I'm understanding it better now. And God is helping me and I'm growing. Because if you do not learn this, if we do not become people who learn this, 
we will never be the people that God uses in the world. And we will always be confused about the next wave of things we should be passionate about that are trending every week. It's a new thing. We're told that for one week, Thomas is living in these questions. We know that it's about a week's time where the disciples tell Thomas, hey, Jesus is alive, bro. It's going to be amazing. He's like, guys, this is ridiculous. It can't be him. It doesn't make any sense. I have questions. All this happened. And this is what the Bible tells us. It's profound. I love this point. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with him. I, I just want you to have, feel this slide. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Do you know how safe you have to feel to tell someone you disagree with them and then to be with them for a whole week? Do you know how safe and honest and loving you have to be as friends, as brothers and sisters, to say, I don't believe any of this. I think some of you guys are losing it. And for one week, be connecting and talking and creating a safety to just, just, it's okay. Maybe, Thomas, say, tell me again, what did you see again? Tell me what you saw. That for one week, they're interacting. Many of you need to know this and you need to hear this that we are committed to make this church a safe place for people to doubt what they believe. And years ago, I said that in a sermon and people left our church. They said, that's not what the church is for. The church is the place where we go and we tell people what to believe. And I said, yes, but if we read the scriptures, we learn that people need time to understand what it means to believe. And so we want to create that. And if you're a parent here, let me just tell you, you better take that value that you learned at this church, put it in your pocket, and spray it on your house. Because you're going to need room to live your convictions, to teach the scriptures, to model the way of Jesus, and to have the next generation be like, nah, this is kind of fishy. So many times I've been with parents who are like, hey, Pastor Dom, like my son or my daughter, they're going to university and they don't believe that the, the authority of the Bible, can you convince them? I'm like, not if you're not living this in your home. Because not even God can resurrect what's dead in your home. Write that down. Convictions are things we hold on to, we grow into, we learn, and then we see them passed on. We see people begin to experience like doubts and questions and steps, and, and we walk with them. And yet, what do we want? We want the Jesus one. Let's go tell Pilate he's a, he's a loser. And then let's, let's see how Jesus responds to Thomas. The most profound thing, Jesus our Lord, always so kind, always so gentle, always so generous. Is this, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. You know, there's two kind of interesting takes on this and this might help you if you're growing in your understanding of the Bible. Is how does Jesus know that Thomas has these questions. Well, one view is that, well, Jesus is God and he's hearing all conversations everywhere. He's a bit like, uh, uh, you know, spying on everybody's conversation, which is usually not the Christian view, by the way. Jesus is not like a, uh, like, uh, what's it called? Like a stalker. He's not like, hey, I gotta listen because I gotta answer that question. That's not what it means that Jesus is fully human and fully God. It is essential to Christian teaching that Jesus is fully God and never uses his godness to override his humanness. 
He's God and he trusts the Father and the Spirit's power. And now he's resurrected and he's aware that Thomas is doubting. He's not a mutant. He's not an X-Men. He's not picking up telepathy in a conversation. So I'm convinced it might help us to believe this, that at some point, some other disciples tell Jesus that Thomas is doubting. They find Jesus and they're like, Thomas is not there yet. And Jesus enters this space and he says, Thomas, Thomas, just come, come. There's so many people in my life as I was studying and praying and preparing for that I wish Jesus did this for them. That he would just show up and be like, do, do for them what you did for Thomas. But I also know enough of the scriptures that Jesus appeared to other people who did not believe, who were not ready. They, they, they needed more time to, to rethink a conviction that just wasn't there yet. They just, they just couldn't understand. They just couldn't grow. They were nervous. They were afraid. All these things. What a gift that John, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is the one who tells us about Thomas's journey to work through this. That we have this. That we can read this. That we can study the scriptures like this. That we can feel what it's like for someone to have these convictions and to be like, I just need more time and more space to grow in this. Thomas is about to learn that in the Christian faith, when we say we have convictions, what we always mean is we have a deep assurance that Jesus was dead and now he's alive. This is the first step of every moment of deep convictions, meaning that convictions are not just doctrines that we argue with other people about. They're a deep faith and assurance in a person who was dead and now is alive. And if you've never read the Bible, you might not know this, that the Bible itself calls that person the way, the truth, and the life. See how beautiful that is? It's not, it's not like a doctrine. It's not an idea. It's the person of Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. And to be a Christian is to hold that as a deep conviction. Right? At the least, let's just start there. There's more. But let's just say that that's a conviction that we have. And that Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life teaches us how to be people of convictions with those who have different convictions. He shows up in spaces where people are not sure what they believe. And he says, hey, you have some doubts. Just come. There's people in your life that still have doubts. They're not sure. They're confused. They're unaware. What do they need from God to be convinced and to grow in their convictions? What might they need? Can we just agree that over the next few weeks, you might let God use you in that way? When you know someone, you meet somebody, or you have a son or a daughter or someone, that, that seems to look like Thomas. They're, they're just not convinced. They've seen people with convictions, but they're like, I don't want to be like that. They've seen convictions as confrontation and as fighting. They're like, really? Like, then how does Jesus make a difference? Because that's how everybody in the world has convictions. Why would we even need Jesus if convictions is just confrontation? If you read the Bible enough, you know that into the New Testament, there will be times when confrontation is needed. And the disciples, many of them, die as witnesses that they trust God enough that after sharing their convictions, their death is not the end of the story. That's what Easter means. That our death and the loved ones that we have and the people that even when we hold convictions that Jesus has won this victory. That we can be people of deep conviction but yet, we grow in our convictions and we're careful about how we share, live out, model those convictions. In a few weeks, 
I'm going to tell you about someone else in this story of the Bible who was convinced that not only that Jesus did not raise from the dead, but anybody who believes that Jesus was raised from the dead should die. Convinced. Conviction equaled confrontation. And he looked for ways to confront people. He was like relentless. Something in the back of your minds, you, you kind of know. You feel the story of who this is. He had convictions. He had the scriptures. He had the Torah. He was a teacher of the law. Jesus was not the Messiah. Saul of Tarsus. Oh, when Jesus finds him. When Jesus says, hey, hey, those are good convictions, but maybe they're wrong. Maybe you need to grow now. That that Paul of Tarsus, who we call Paul, Saul, Paul, will leave us in the book of Romans, one of the most profound, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible, where he says this, for I am convinced. If you have the ESV translation, it's translated as sure. I am sure. A sureness beyond sureness. That neither death nor life, neither angel nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor any height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in G Christ Jesus, our Lord. The only response after this is amen. Nothing else. Convinced of that. Convinced that something happened to me where old convictions needed to get worked out and I had to grow and humble myself enough to be like, I I'm wrong. Like, I, miss I don't know, I missed this that he would say, this is the convictions that you need to hold on to. I'm going to close in a minute and pray for you, and I want to leave you with one last thought. That if you lived in the ancient world, and you were part of the earliest Christians, everyone had another way that they tried to help pass on their convictions. They often went and worshipped at the great goddess of persuasion that the Romans had. Archaeologists have actually discovered different images. She doesn't always look this way, but if you notice her name, it's the same Greek word that's used in the Bible for conviction. And Paul knows this and all the Christians know this. That there's a way of conviction of this world that is connected to magic, to sorcery, to worshiping other things. And that's why Paul will start to use language in the New Testament that will say, I didn't come with you with wise words to try to convince you in a way that you see the world convincing you. I didn't come that way. Because he knows that there's a whole worship industry around how we convince, have convictions, persuade, get people on our side. Today it's called social media, but anyway, it's, it's connected. But we are learning to be those who trust Jesus. Not only to show us how to have convictions, to model those convictions, to grow in those convictions, but most of all, to pray that we will pass them on to others who will say, okay, I, th I think I get this. I'm starting to understand this more. I still have a doubt about this. I'm not sure about that. We need to find a new way in a world that often will invite us to the shortcut. You either have convictions or you don't. Are you in or are you out? Are you with us or are you all these ways? And I'm thinking, wow. My heart always breaks when I hear that because I think of you. I think of our church family who's for seven days, six days, you're in that cycle. And then I got you for 35 minutes. And I hope I can kind of correct, catch, show you, remind you, don't, be careful, be careful. We have convictions in a different way. We have convictions that come, they, they grow in us because convictions, people have to see convictions in us. I said this before, and it's been my experience in my life as a pastor, 
that I've been with families and, and kids and parents over the years, and people will often say to me, hey, they don't believe. Would you convince them of that? And it's always this, some idea that there's a shortcut that the pastor or someone who's, they're just going to convince you. But so much of that never, ever works. You know how I know? Because I, for years, spent time with university students who called themselves Christians at home and lived like the devil on a campus. You know why? Because they had great convictions in front of their parents. But as soon as their parents weren't around, they did whatever they wanted. Because they didn't have convictions. They had a way of camouflaging that they really didn't believe what they were taught. And we do this still today. We don't realize how important it is for people to not just say yes to us because they're afraid, or yeah, I'm on your side because you're an intense person, or I better say yes to you because you're going like, to get mad at me. All those ways that we want people to have our convictions. We just create space to say, hey, hey it's safe for you to disagree with me. It's safe if you don't believe this yet. It's safe if you have a different perspective on this. Actually, maybe God brought you into my life so that I would grow in my convictions as you grow in yours. Maybe that's what we need. And for the next few weeks, we're going to continue to grow on this area of understanding this because everybody in the New Testament who was hearing that Jesus was alive had to rework some convictions. I promise you that. Let's stand as we pray. Last week, I mentioned this, I want to mention it quickly, that if you're here, still kind of new, you don't have a Bible, you're like, I'm not even sure where to start learning about Jesus, we have some Bibles, we would love to give them to you, free. Uh, some of you were here last week, and some of you picked up Bibles for the first time, and so you could bring them as we learn. If you're watching online, you know, we encourage you to follow along and learn with us. But let's just pray and just be open to how God is going to stir us to a deeper sense of conviction, and also a deeper sense of growth in our convictions. Let's pray. Lord, you are just so good to us. And on a morning like this, we understand how important it is that we reflect on this issue and the way that the scriptures invite us to learn and to listen and to grow. We feel the questions of Thomas. We think of the many others who will be confused and will have other convictions that will be different than the convictions that you left your followers. You thought it in your great wisdom to make us be alive at this time among people who have different beliefs and different convictions as well. And so today, we ask you for the power of the Spirit to be at work in us. For some of us, we need courage to stand for just simple convictions that are so clear in your word. And for others, we just need strength to grow in our convictions. Maybe for some of us, we just need to learn how to be kind and patient. Wherever we're at, Jesus, you have what we need. We sang about it, that you are more than enough, and that we know from the scriptures that you love to give us wisdom when we ask for it. So would you bless us with that kind of wisdom so that people would be convicted of the fact that you were dead and then alive, that they would start to follow you and love you and grow in that conviction. Use us, Father, for the glory of Jesus our Lord, as we pray this in his name. Amen. Hey, everyone. Uh, we are so grateful that you joined us again. Saturday morning, I'm sure you don't have nothing to do. Clean. We're going to be cleaning a little. Show up, even if it's for a little while. And uh, God bless you next week, everyone. <laughs>